You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. All right, folks, we are ready to rock and roll. Let's blast through this futurism article so that we can get to these fantastic videos that I have in the queue for you. Let's get back to the article now. History is full of cases in which a new and groundbreaking technology or a collection of such technologies completely changes people's lives. The change is often so dramatic that people who've lived before the technological leap have a very hard time understanding how the subsequent generations think. And I just explained that to you, right? You're talking to somebody older, and they go, damn those kids, this, that, and the other thing. Well, it's because they didn't live through that technological boom during their, their time, their era. To the people before the change, the new generation may as well be aliens in their way of thinking and seeing the world. So me, at 40 years old, I would now be considered to the technologists that are pushing this new uh, full-blown technocracy to be someone like that who just doesn't understand it and uh, the younger kids will accept it. Well, of course, they're indoctrinated into it. I just want to give you an example, and I hate to go off on a tangent, but this is very important. You have Minecraft. Minecraft, right? It's a 3D world, second life type of game. It's never ending. There's no levels. Well, kids were hooked on it. Tons of kids. People still play it. You go inside and you build this pixelated 3D world and you can meet other people. Well, Microsoft, uh, under Bill Gates, actually bought Minecraft and was, and was in control of it. Why? Why? Because they were training and they are training this next generation to accept and adopt the concept of the metaverse. They also, with all of the game time, screen time, play time, they were helping train the machines, train the artificial intelligence to build a better world, figure out what would get people addicted, how they can get people sucked into it. It's, it's all, all of this is orchestrated. It's not organic. These kinds of dramatic shifts in thinking are called singularity, a phrase that is originally derived from mathematics and describes a point which we are incapable of deciphering its exact properties. It's that place where the equations basically go nuts and make no sense any longer. The singularity has risen to fame in the last two decades largely because of two thinkers. The first is the scientist and science fiction writer Werner Vinge, who wrote in 1993 that, quote, within 30 years, we will have the technological means to create superhuman intelligence. Shortly after, the human era will be ended, end quote. Now, you will see, as we talk about this stuff over the next several shows, that people like Yuval Noah Harari, the prophet, the right-hand man to Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum, 
also talks about the end of the human era. Ray Kurzweil talks about the blending of the human era into the robotic era, but basically says that our biological bodies will no longer be needed and that our brains will be connected to an AI hive mind that will interact with a cloud-based neocortex, which is the end of your brain. You're going to see some real crazy stuff that you will know where Harari has said. The other prominent prophet of the singularity is Ray Kurzweil, a prophet again, right? A prophet. It's, it's like, it pisses me off. He's a prophet. He's the engineer. It's just the engineer of singularity. In his book, The Singularity is Near, Kurzweil basically agrees with Vinge, but believes has been too optimistic in his view of technological progress. Kurzweil believes that by the year 2045, we will experience the greatest technological singularity in the history of mankind, the kind that could, in just a few years, overturn the institutes and pillars of society and completely change the way we view ourselves as human beings. Remember, this was written in 2017. They are saying at this time in 2017, that is five years ago, that in just a few years, overturn the institutes and pillars of society and completely change the way we view ourselves as human beings. Look where we are. We're two years into COVID land. We are several years now into this, this orchestrated fake transgender movement, which is really the transhuman movement, which is really the anti-human movement. Just like Vinge, Kurzweil believes that we'll get to the singularity by creating a superhuman artificial intelligence. An AI that level could conceive of ideas that no human beings has thought about in the past and will invent technological tools that will be more sophisticated and advanced than anything we have today. See, he, he is saying he wants to create the artificial intelligence that will help him create more technological tools. And remember, I believe this was in episode one, we discussed how the very creators, engineers, architects of this technological system then say, well, it's dangerous and it needs to be governed. So they're already setting themselves up to be the governors, the executives, the managers, the overlords of the technological prison planet, of which I call the Matrix, so they will be in charge of it. See, at the end of the day, the question is, is the AI really writing itself? Is AI singular? Or is AI just a computer program controlled by a bunch of psychopaths? And we will eventually answer that question. I will tell you something at the end of the show that is the biggest hope of all. And that is that their entire system, as scary as it is, as dystopian as it is, is one giant paper tiger. But we're going to get into that in the close of the show. Let me finish this up. Since one of the roles of this AI would be to improve itself and perform better, it seems pretty obvious that once we have a super intelligent artificial intelligence, it will be able to create a better version of itself. And guess what the new generation of artificial intelligence would then do? That's right, improve itself even further. 
this kind of a race would lead to an intelligence explosion and will leave old poor us, simple biological machines that we are, far behind. Again, why are these people that are claiming they are doing this for humanity to make us smarter, to make us healthier, to make us live longer, to make us be able to be more efficient with our tasks? Why would they do this if everyone knows and admits to at the same time that it will end up being the demise of humanity itself? See, they're, they're constantly, if you get into this, they're gaslighting you. They're making you go crazy because you think about it and you break it down like I just did into common sense points and you say, why would they develop this? They say they love us, but they're developing something to replace us. Of which, if, if it worked, right, and they weren't in control of it, it wasn't a computer program that they control, it would in fact erase them. It would render them useless. Right? Because if the AI was all powerful and operating on its own, would it not look at people like Ray Kurzweil and Yuval Harari and Bill Gates and Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, these guys that are supposed to be so smart and so intelligent, would it not look at them as a threat? Would it not look at them as a threat? Because look at it, look at it like this. Let's say those are the old cracker slave masters on the plantation, standing up in the balcony with their whips. And let's say the AI are the, the strong black men that work in the field. And the masters created them. And now they pick the cotton. They uh, tend to the gardens and the vegetables. Well, eventually that slave can overthrow, if it's powerful enough, those creators. So there's no way those creators are going to allow themselves to be so weak, those plantation owners, that the slaves can then overtake the plantation. So, population of Einsteins. I want to finish this article up. It's taking a little longer than I had anticipated. If this notion scares you, you're in good company. A few of the most widely regarded scientists, thinkers, and inventors, like Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk, have already expressed their concerns that super-intelligent AI could escape our control and move against us. Remember, this is written in 2017. Uh, uh, Stephen Hawking was alive then. But Elon Musk back then was setting the stage, as I mentioned in episode one, to be the purveyor of artificial intelligence. See, back then he was expressing his concerns that super intelligent artificial intelligence could escape our control and move against us. But then since then, he said, well, the only way to really, to really curb it is for me, Elon Musk, to be in charge of it. So I'll build it and I'll make sure it's fair and equitable and we'll give everyone access to their own artificial intelligence. Right, so let me just ask a simple question. If Elon Musk was a very good guy and he did love you and he builds this artificial intelligence, it could be super dangerous, but then he dies. Well, who has access to the artificial intelligence now? You see, even someone as, as mainstream, normal, average IQ as me could figure that out. So you know Elon Musk thought of it. Does the AI get locked into a, into a box and then lit on fire? No. It's a total lie. It's a total lie. Elon Musk's job is to make it cool and to normalize it and force people into an adoption mentality in which they're going to accept it. 
Others focus on the great opportunities that such a singularity holds for us. They believe that a superintelligent AI, if kept on a tight leash, could analyze and expose many of the wonders of the world for us. See, that's what Elon Musk transitioned into. So back in 2017, he was pretending to be against it. Then he transitioned into one who said, let's keep it on a tight leash as long as I am the one who controls the leash. Einstein, after all, was a remarkable genius who has revolutionized our understanding of physics. Well, how would the world change if we enjoyed tens, hundreds, and millions of Einsteins that could have analyzed every problem and find a solution for it? Now, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Jeff Bezos, another technocrat, uh, head of Amazon, actually said he was going to go into outer space and build a colony of a million Einsteins. He said that last year. Well... It was already talked about in 2017. So did Jeff Bezos plagiarize? Or are all of these guys just pushing a script? Pushing a script, pushing a script. Well, we will find out right after this break. I'm Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv. Slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. All right, folks, I'm Dustin Gold, and we are back. We just got into talking about how. What would happen if the world could enjoy tens, hundreds, and millions of Einsteins? I don't know. Maybe we would have a lot of atom bombs. Similarly, how would things look like if each of us could enjoy his very own Dr. House that constantly analyzed his medical state and provided ongoing recommendations and which new ideas and revelations would those super intelligences come up with? when they go over humanity's history and holy books. Yeah, uh, we need a superhuman AI <laughs> to make us better, our own personal doctor. Yeah, they're going to put a doctor inside our body. That's what they actually say. These nanorobots are mini doctors, and they're going to travel through our bloodstream and keep us really, really healthy. Well, we wouldn't need it if they weren't pumping all kinds of chemicals and pesticides into the air and geoengineering and all the other stuff they do that makes us unhealthy and we don't need them reviewing our holy books give me a break already we see how artificial intelligence is starting to change the ways in which we think about ourselves the computer deep blue managed to beat okay so this goes in to how uh they used artificial intelligence to beat these master chess players, but now these chess players actually work with the computer to beat new problems, blah, 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 blah. It's adoption, normalization of this crap. That's what they're doing. Together, the two create a centaur. They're saying the man and the machine. This is called transhumanism. Uh, centaur, a mythical creature that combines the best traits of two different species. 
We see then that the artificial intelligence has already forced chess players to reconsider their humanity and their game because they're saying that the chess player and the computer work together. And let's close this out. In the next few decades, we can expect a similar singularity to occur in many other games, professions, and other fields that we were previously uh, conserved for human beings only. Some humans will struggle against the artificial intelligence. Others will ignore it. But these approaches will prove disastrous since when the artificial intelligence will become capable of uh, it should be more capable than human beings, both the strugglers and the ignorant will remain behind. Others will realize that the only way to success lies in collaboration with the computers. Again, I told you when Elon Musk was on Joe Rogan's show, he said, uh, uh, I'm going to put an AI chip in everyone's head. Everyone's going to have a brain chip in their head. And Rogan said, yeah, man, I don't think, uh, I don't think, man, that like everyone's going to want it. And Musk said, well, they'll go extinct. They will help computers learn and will direct their growth in learning. Those people will be the centaurs of the future. And this realization that man can no longer rely only on himself and his brain, but instead must collaborate and unite with sophisticated computers to beat tomorrow's challenges. Well, isn't that a singularity all by itself? And yes, it is. And yes, that is exactly what they're talking about, the merger of man and machine. So, if this does not sound very Nazi-ish, to you I really don't know <laughs> I really don't know what does I mean this is eugenics Nazi experimentation the whole superhuman program at the highest levels so let, let, let me do it this way I am going to show you a clip from 2011, so 11 years ago, where Glenn Beck, who at the time was very influential, he had a Fox News show, he was really the hottest thing going in conservative politics, and Glenn Beck had Ray Kurzweil on. Now, when I look back at this, I say to myself that Glenn was a little bit like the character that Joe Rogan plays today, on which he sort of says he's afraid of Kurzweil while at the same time praising him and sort of normalizing him. So let me go to the clip and let Glenn say it in his words. There is a difference between, uh, for instance, Yahoo and Google. I use Yahoo. I try not to use Google. Much of it, your work. Um, but uh, I try not to use Google. Um, and But I, it, Google is by far, I mean... I can, I can type like six different things and I'm laughing. I'm not finding it with Yahoo. But Google is... So why don't you use Google? Because I'm helping you create artificial intelligence if I use Google. And I am, I am not a technophobe. I like technology. I just don't trust... Let me be real frank with you. This is a hard thing to say to you. And I wondered if I, if I should even say it to you. What is the difference between you and somebody who worked in the eugenics program? 
in the 20s and 30s? Well, the eugenics was, uh, first of all, a technology that didn't work and was uh, anti-human. It involved uh, killing people and okay. as but, opposed but wait, wait, to enhancing didn't people. It, didn't it, wait, wait, I it mean, didn't it first. It didn't at first. They were trying to, let's create the perfect person. Let's enhance the perfect person. Let's have the most intelligent. I mean, if you... If well, there's no such thing as per perfection. I'm not actually into perfection. And uh, the mistake in the movie AI is that Hal should be perfect because he was so smart. But actually, as we solve more difficult problems, there's inherently no such thing as perfection. Right. And uh, Watson made lots of mistakes. So did the humans. But Watson did a better job. Uh, you know, if you play tic-tac-toe, you can do a perfect job. You try to do something meaningful, like, you know, run for office or something. You, this, it's impossible to be perfect. Right. Uh, um, Especially if you're running for office, it doesn't seem like you need to close. And I think what technology does and does already is make us smarter and more intelligent. I'm smarter than I used to be right. because of these brain extenders. Okay, so as you can see there, Glenn Beck had the balls to actually ask him uh, about his technology, his view, the projects that he's developing, and how that is not uh, sort of exactly what the Nazis were doing. I don't think Kurzweil was forced to answer the question properly, but you could hear, well, the difference is we're going to do it right the difference is we're doing it for the good of humanity. Well, did Hitler, if we're to believe that he really was running this superhuman, uh, super intelligence program, not believe he was doing it for the good of humanity? Of course, we're supposed to believe that he was doing it for the good of the Nazis, right? He was going to build the supreme Aryan race. So he believed he was doing it for good. He believed he was doing it for humanity. Although he would have to weed out the people that did not fit the criteria of what should be a supreme being. Well, that's very similar to what Kurzweil and Yuval Noah Harari and others discuss. As you'll see in future episodes, when we start to break down the speeches by Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari and others at the World Economic Forum, the one setting the policy on the Fourth Industrial Revolution, on the Fourth Industrial Era... This is the type of stuff they discuss. They say, well, with this artificial intelligence, with the nanorobots in the bloodstream, with the connection of the brain up to the AI hive mind, with the brain chips, those who do not adopt it will be left behind. Do you see that? We will be left behind. It's a threat. Elon Musk, if you don't get the brain chip, you will go extinct. So the question is, are they going to offer this technology, as they did with the jab, to essentially the whole world? And if you don't take it or accept it, you will just be washed out of the gene pool because you don't have the advanced technology that they have. Uh, let's say they release some sort of disease and these superhumans are immune to the disease. So everyone who did not take the superhuman nanobots uh, end up getting the disease and dying. Uh, 
or are only this top 0.01% going to get access to the technology and the rest of us are not? Because again, these same people talk about overpopulation. So they're not going to give 7.5 billion people in the world immortality because that would lead to mass overpopulation, real overpopulation. So what is this they're developing? Why are all the guys working on this, people that stem from that Nazi era, whether they are actual Nazis or people that were supposedly or had family members that were fleeing the Nazis? I don't know. I don't know. There are some things that are real, like Operation Paperclip. We brought 1,500 Nazi scientists back here after the war, put them in all types of positions as engineers in places like NASA. And that's something we'll investigate. To me, that's not as, imp as important. What's important to me is that we're figuring out what they're doing, what the future looks like. We're being our own futurist, using their words and their writings and their teachings so that we can figure out how we're going to navigate this how we're going to live in it, or if there's a miracle, how we're going to defeat it. So, it's, it's really crazy. But I'm glad 11 years ago, Glenn Beck asked that question, but he was very popular at the time, and apparently no one was listening. In fact, the scary part, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but I found the video on YouTube. It was an original video off the Glenn Beck book list, he used to promote books, like an Oprah-type thing, books for people to read. And I started looking at the comments. And, and back then, I was into politics back then. You were only watching Get Glenn Beck if you loved him and were a fan of him. Or you were on the left and you hated him. You know, because there was actually very uh, black and white lines back then. There was, you know, conservative, liberal, left, right, Republican, Democrat. And so... People on the left would watch him and then trash him. I was reading the comments in this article. It was 99% people that love Glenn Beck, and they were praising Ray Kurzweil. And I recommend you watch the whole 30-minute interview. I'm going to find out, uh, because of copyright issues, if we're allowed to do that. And if we are allowed to do that, I will play it and analyze it. Because it's a very interesting interview. And it goes to show you, 11 years ago, someone like Ray Kurzweil could go on someone like Glenn Beck's show and espouse the technocracy, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, although it wasn't labeled back then. To some, it sounded like kookery. To others, they loved it. They said, this is great. I want to live forever. This is fantastic. So I recommend you look it up. Ray Kurzweil, Glenn Beck. And you take a look at it because it's uh, it's quite important. And when you watch it, you're going to see this madman, Ray Kurzweil, sitting on Glenn Beck talking about it. But at least Glenn Beck asked him, you know, is this, is this, how is this not Nazi eugenics? And so when we get back, I'm going to play you, Ray Kurzweil, and you're going to see where he came from. And the fact that this guy has been engineering and blueprinting this stuff for decades, decades, folks, for decades. I'm Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. 
Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.